Tenacious Faith, Part 1, and we pick up Philippians chapter 1, verses 18b and following. And you'll see why it's divided that way. I want to back up and look at the last chunk that we reviewed last week. I want to go ahead and read that again so we can see where we're launching from. So I'll read it, starting with Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18a. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in preference or in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul doesn't care. doesn't care if their motives are bad as long as the truth is preached. Even if they're trying to hurt him, doesn't matter. And then he goes on with today's text, the second part of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. Because it's a little shocking. You get a letter from Paul and he's saying, it doesn't matter if they're trying to hurt me. It doesn't matter what their motives are. I'm still going to rejoice that the gospel is preached. Yes, I will. For I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So like, kind of like Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Paul knows it's going to be fine. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul is still hoping that he will be brave through all of this. But I can't help but notice, he says, whether by life or death. Did you catch that? There's, some, there's a reason for that, and you'll see as we move on. Chapter 1, verse 21, the next verse, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's a difficult thing for people to, to wrestle with in these days. People who don't know Christ don't understand that actually eternity is something we look forward to. We don't want to die, but heaven is going to be far better than anything here on earth. That's, that's the way it is. We get a little taste of heaven here on earth. Sometimes it's when we're having communion. It's a little taste of heaven. You kind of can fellowship with Christ and others. Sometimes it's in the singing. Sometimes it's in like a dinner we had last night with like-minded people, brothers and sisters in Christ, or might be at a, a camp meeting at Pleasant Valley Christian Camp, or maybe even just hanging out with Christian friends, and you wind up in the kitchen of your house. That sweet fellowship. Or maybe it's like at a, a women's meeting, where the women are gathered and they're doing some crafts or projects, or even praying together. Maybe some of you have memories where that's a taste of heaven. Maybe you've had mentors you've been around and you feel like that, that was a taste of heaven. It's going to be like that when, when I go to heaven. I'm going to be around others like that. M maybe some of the men think of 
while we're doing work projects that seem to be very uh, <laughs> never-ending sometimes, but it's a taste of heaven having that fellowship with Christian brothers. Now, whatever it is that gives you a taste of heaven, you know heaven's going to be better than anything here on earth. So we understand what Paul's saying. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he goes on to explain it so that we surely will understand what he's saying. The next couple of verses. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Wait a minute. Are you tracking with what Paul's saying here? So... Paul is incarcerated. He's talking about, you know, hey, you know, it's good, you know, if, 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 if I live, it's, it's good for the glory of Christ. If I die, that's good too. And then he goes on to say, what shall I choose? He gets to choose? I don't know if you've been around people who are in that situation where their will to live is pretty much what's keeping them alive. I had a situation like that where I got a phone call. I was multiple states away with a kid who ended up becoming a preacher, but I took him to a preaching competition multiple states away from Indiana is where we were. And we went all the way to Hanobia, Oklahoma, and he was in a preaching contest there. I get a phone call from a family back in Indianapolis It's time. We're going to go ahead and disconnect the machines. She hasn't spoken. She hasn't moved. She hasn't given any physical indication of life on her own. So we've decided we're going to go ahead and turn off the machines. And we would like you to be there. I had to cross across all these state lines, and I'm thinking I'm against the uh, time, you know, so we're, we're going, and I'm... I pick up somebody, I pick up an elder, because I was so sleepy by the time I got there, I thought, I need somebody else to drive. He went with me. We gathered uh, in the room, and they hadn't turned off anything yet. But they decided to wait till I got there. So when I got there, then everything was shut off. And if you've been in situations like this, it's not like in the movies. It doesn't just, they don't just flatline instantly. It takes time, and everybody's different. But as, you know, she's been a while, I think it was a couple of weeks where she hadn't had any responsiveness to anything, but as her vital signs began to diminish rather rapidly in front of us, the family was informed she's about to go. And I had asked them, I said, I would like to pray with you as she's passing, if you don't mind, I'd already prayed with them, but... The family decided they wanted me in the room with her, just her and me, because we were close. And they wanted me to be able to have some final words. They had all said theirs. And the elder stayed in the room, and one family member stayed. And I prayed with them, but then they left. And so then I go over to her. Her name was Elsie. And she had shared with me how she wasn't really ready to die. Her faith was strong, but she was concerned that some in her family weren't heading to heaven. And so, and one of them, um, I had gotten extra close to as well, 
And so as I went over to her, I whispered in her ear, and I don't know, if you don't know this about me, you need to know this, I'm not a touchy-feely person at all. And yet I felt close to Elsie, so I whispered in her ear, I said, it's okay, Elsie, um, I'll, I'll try my best to take them with me to heaven. You can go now. And when I said that, I did a thing that's out of character for me. I kissed her on her cheek. I'd never, I don't think I'd ever even hugged her, but I kissed her on her cheek, and I figured only two people can see this that were in the room. And when I did, her eyes opened. And she looked up, and you could tell she was trying to focus on the room. And then she looked at me, and she tried to stretch toward me. Like, she had tubes and stuff, so she couldn't come up out of the bed very far. But when she did... And she looked at me and smiled. And all that stuff, I could still see her smile. And then her head went back and boop, flatline. And of course, the family member, he made a, a loud noise. He couldn't control himself. He made a loud, like a heaving and tears noise. And he ran out of the room to get the rest of the family. Like, oh my goodness, she moved. A couple of weeks has passed. She, she's had no movement. But all of a sudden... And I, that's why I've, I've been in many situations like this where it's very clear to me the soul is still present. If the body has no indications of life, the soul is still there. And even, and she, by the way, she had hearing aids that weren't in, but she could still hear what I was saying. And I've seen that kind of thing too. The soul is not necessarily absolutely uh, dependent on the physical capabilities of the body. She understood me. And she was at peace when she died. <clears throat> I tell you that story because she clearly had the will to die at the moment when she smiled and thought, okay, she just died. There's other times where uh, you, you, you're with a family and they just keep lingering and they keep lingering and they keep lingering and then that one family member finally makes it. Oh, she made it. She's here. They say some words, goodbye, and then they're gone. I don't know if you've been in situations like that, but there really are times when a person is clinging to life simply by their will. Paul is in prison. He's been beaten several times. He's physically not in great shape, and he's incarcerated, and he's telling the readers, including us, at the time... I could just close my eyes and that, that would be it. I could just decide I'm not hanging on anymore. And in a very personal note, God inspired him to write this. He says, I don't know. I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And those of us who have had a close relationship with Christ, we know this. It's going to be better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's saying to the Philippians who are worried about him, he's been trying to say, don't worry about me, I'm okay. He says... I'm going to cling to life a little bit longer for you because it's better for you. 
He continues, verse 25 and 26, Convinced of this, I I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So he he wants to see them again. He's going to hang on for that. I want to chop this next part up a little bit so you'll see it, uh, it up behind me and you can kind of faintly see all of it, but we're going to go piece by piece. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's a, that's a significant thing to say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to life for your sake, but you have to do your part. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live, live in such a way that you represent and some of you know, it got revealed over the weekend that Stephanie and I have gifts for each family in the church. You can see it out on my Jeep out there. It's on the back. It's a vinyl lettering. It says Central Kitsap Christian Church. We can drive around and make the name of our church more visible. I'll get you one. If I don't get it to you today, I'll get it to you later. But you need to know that caveat should go with it. The same one Paul's giving. Represent. <laughs> If you're going to put a big sticker on the back of your vehicle that says, I'm a Christian, drive like one. Act like one when you're behind the wheel. Don't be flipping people off. Don't be riding people's tailgates. Don't be uh, not getting up in time so that you have to speed where, to wherever you're going. Plan yourself a little bit better. Uh, and if you are running late, don't jeopardize the lives of others because you made poor choices represent. And Paul's saying not just when you're driving, he's saying you, you live your life, other people know you say you're a Christian, so live like it. May your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Represent. It continues. <clears throat> so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he wants them, whether he's hearing about them or witnessing their behavior himself, he wants to have a good report. He wants to know they're okay. Because the reality is, Jesus says that we will be judged by how we demonstrate our active faith. That's the reality. You have to Live the Christian faith. You can't say, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live like a Satanist. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live however I choose. I'm going to live selfishly, not for Christ. You can't do that. That's not okay. Remember that story. I talked to you about it before. It's a very familiar story in the Bible that most of us get wrong. The idea of building your house on the rock is not building your house on the foundation that is Jesus. Read it again. He says, the wise man is like the man who built, it, it, the wise man is the one who hears these words of mine and puts them in the practice, like the man who builds his house on the rock. So in other words, it's not build your house on believing in Jesus. It's build your house on putting his words into practice. That, and the foolish one is the one who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice. So be wise. 
Paul wants to make sure, the reason why he's clinging to life is to make sure that we're okay. So, live in a way that's pleasing to Jesus. If you have a mentor in your family, somebody in your family you look up to, that, that my grandmother or my grandfather or that, my uncle or whoever it is, is such a solid Christian, then you know that if they had a chance to say something to you before they go, they would say, live for Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. I want to meet you in heaven. That's what it's about. That's more important to me. If, if I'm going to leave something with you, I want to see you again in heaven. The Mendez family that just took off to Montana, I hope I get to see them again. I hope I get to go visit them in their house. I hope, you know, they'll be back here in April, if, if the Lord wills, uh, to visit us at least. But the most important thing is I want to see them in heaven, don't you? That's the vital thing. <clears throat> He continues, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. It is a weird world in which we live. <laughs> it seems like everybody wants us all to be afraid of something. And it's, it's almost like it's in direct conflict with our faith. Paul says, if we're going to represent Christ well, we're not going to be living in fear of things of man. It continues, last couple of verses. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. So if you didn't know that, don't boast in yourself that, hey, I believe in Jesus, so I'm good. Well, you believe in Jesus because God granted you the opportunity to hear the story of the gospel of Christ. It's all by his grace that you have a relationship with him in the first place. But look at the second part. This is disturbing. Not everybody gets this, but also suffer for his sake. So catch this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You are, you've been given this great blessing to believe in him and suffer for him. Did you know that? That's your blessing. You get to believe in him and you get to suffer for him. And this, is, this flies in the face of popular Christianity. By the way, Christianity should never be a thing that is following trends. And more than likely, Christianity, if it's genuine Christianity, will never really be a trendy thing. Suffering is not really that appealing to most people, you know. But that's what we're called to do. And it continues, Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And I poured over all kinds of commentaries in this. And we don't know exactly what this conflict is, but, but one thing. It could be various things, but we know for a fact that it has to apply for the conflict he just revealed to us. I don't know if I should stay in the body or give up my spirit. You might have that same thing. You might get to the point where you, you have a choice, a will to live for other people's sake so they might come to know Jesus. 
or the desire just to go ahead and go on to eternity. You might be in that situation. Now, here's a weird thing, though. This idea that you're called to believe, you're, you're granted the ability to believe in Jesus and to suffer. You're, you're granted, you get to suffer, Christians. Wow, that's kind of weird. I mean, if you read church history, there were times when there were great leaders who did things that they took it too far. It was weird. They did things they thought that they had to punish themselves because they're Christian. They have to punish themselves. And one particular individual, I can't remember which one, he was a church father, where he had himself shackled to a big log in the woods and he was getting rained on and he's getting all kinds of sicknesses because he's got to torment himself in order to suffer for Christ. I mean, he's making himself suffer. suffer. It didn't just happen. He's forcing it. He's shackled to a log. And, and it got to the point where there actually were slugs that were crawling underneath the shackles, and he refused to remove them. This is gross. And that's not what we're called to do, just to purposely figure out ways to make ourselves suffer. No. But Christians were called to suffer. And that's not trendy. That's not popular If you want to turn on the television and watch what's popular Christianity, you're going to hear something very different. Now, if the audio and video works today, I want you to hear what Francis Chan says about some of this trendy theology. Jesus was was so clear when he said, look... If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It says no, and he says in John 15, like no servant's going to be greater than his master. And, and so there's a sense in which you rejoice. Okay, look at the way they're treating me. They're going to treat you that way also. And what's awful about the prosperity gospel is it's saying your life is going to be completely different. I promise you it'll be completely different from what Christ went through. You're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, the people are going to love you. And, and it really sets people up for, uh, for failure in a lot of ways. I mean, the, like, like Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. And what the prosperity gospel teaches is, hey, be surprised if there's any type of trial in your life because you should be experiencing. Man, he's our heavenly father. He wants us to experience the best. You know, you should be treated like kings when Paul's saying the exact opposite. When he's, he's talking to the Corinthians and these super apostles, he's, oh, you're already rich. Oh, you've all be, become kings and that without us. Meanwhile, we apostles are like the scum of the earth. We're like uh, uh, these, these guys condemned to die in the arena. And he actually contrasts himself from those that were preaching a prosperity gospel. So it, it, it just goes against what Jesus preached and what Paul preached, and what Peter preached. New to us, because we did go through the letters of Peter before this series. And when we did that, in April, I wrote one of my weekly columns that got picked up and it went to other uh, newspapers. That happens regularly. So this is one of them. That's the title. It's always the, the main title is Finding Reason 
what would Jesus do? The answer may surprise you. Do you remember this? So we'll look at the what would Jesus do bracelet. I think that's the next slide. I'm not sure. Yeah, there you go. So you remember those. I'm not going to give you the whole story. I gave you the background before. If you want to go back, you can listen to that message. But what would Jesus do came from a book by Charles Sheldon. That idea came from there. And the question that was asked, what would Jesus do, came from a particular verse that we went over in one of the letters to Peter. And here's that verse. You see it up behind me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that, so that you might follow in his steps. That book by Charles Sheldon that, that launched the What Would Jesus Do bracelet movement is called In His Steps. And the title of that book came from this concept in this verse, Christians, you are called to suffer just like Jesus. You're not supposed to make yourself suffer, but you will. Because living the Christian life means you will live for Jesus. He's our Lord. We are his servants. And we will suffer. It's part of it. Don't expect this rosy fantasy world of a life. You will, if you live for Jesus, you will suffer. There will be blessings, but there will also be suffering. Expect it. Romans chapter 8 tells us also, in verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is not a biblical secret. It's throughout the New Testament. We are called, we are required to suffer. Christians, we are to live like Jesus, selflessly, and that comes with it, the package, from time to time, of suffering. So let's look at our passage again where it wraps up with those last two verses. Philippians chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is something we're called to endure, suffering. Not to try to pretend that life is rosy, but to endure. To have a tenacious faith that gets us through the suffering. We've got to go through it. It's, it's a thing. It's very, very real. Don't live in such a way that you think there's something wrong with your faith if your life's not just perfect. It's not going to be. When you make a commitment to Christ, it's a commitment to live for Him, to come underneath Him. And that comes with it, the package of going through difficult days. You'll be required. It's a life of selflessness, just like Jesus led. Selflessness. This world that we live in, that's a foreign concept to most people. If you want to Listen to people who don't know Christ. Listen to what they say about how to succeed. You've got to live selfishly. You have to do everything you can for, number one, yourself. Christ teaches something different. You have to, if you want to succeed in his eyes, 
you have to live selflessly for God and others. And when a Christian gets it backwards, they, they, they miss so much. When you come together for a worship service, like we're doing right now, this is never about me coming here to get what I want. This is about coming to give to God so He gets what He wants. Does that make sense? We are here to worship God, not ourselves. It's not about, I want to hear my songs. I want to hear the ones I like. I want to have worship the way I like it. Really? I thought it was about God. See, it's supposed to be selfless. And when we live selfishly, we find ourselves wanting everything to revolve around our little world. Instead of wanting our Lord to be pleased. I have been taken back at times when I run into a person who claims Christ as their Lord but they, they cannot get the idea that we are to be selfless. And then they're missing what Christianity is about. So the prosperity gospel requires a simple faith which will fail in hard times. If you buy into the prosperity gospel, which is the trendiest form of Christianity out there, then what's going to happen is you're going to fall flat on your face because life will not always be rosy. It is a fake religion. It's not Christianity. The Bible requires a tenacious faith which will get you through hard times. And that is real Christianity. Galatians. Some of you are studying through Galatians right now. Am I right? Y'all are going through a Galatians study? Yeah. It reveals to us, and this is Paul writing, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's the spirit that God wants in us. He taught us this in the book of Job. You remember the life of Job? There's a guy that just wouldn't give up. I mean, the devil threw at him everything imaginable and beyond imagination if we hadn't had it inspired to be written in our Bible, we couldn't have come up with all that. The devil tried his best to take Job out. And guess what? He'll do it to you too. That's exactly what he'll do. So let's just say, let's say it's you. This morning, let's say today, maybe it has nothing to do with the scripture we're going over. Maybe something just clicking with the Spirit of God in you. You came here, it's refreshing, you see Christian faces and you love these people and you're in this church and you're, you're, you're feeling good about your own faith and, and you leave here with a bounce in your step and you're thinking, I'm, I am going to live it and I, I'm going to represent, I don't care how much I suffer, I am going to do it and I don't care what other people say and even my friends that call themselves Christians but they don't believe in the selfless thing, I'm going to show them. You, let's say you walk out of here and you are ready to take on the world. You know what's going to happen, don't you? The devil is going to try his best to knock the wind out of your sail as fast as possible. And try to make sure you lose that thought. Don't you climb on some spiritual mountaintop. The devil will make sure you get taken down. 
You want to walk out of here and act like you're some sort of great Christian and you can influence a whole lot of your neighbors and your co-workers and your friends. Oh, the devil's not going to have that. But you know that if you have a tenacious faith, the devil can't knock the wind out of your sail. The devil can't take you off that mountaintop. He won't. Because if your faith is real, it can withstand all of the schemes of the devil, just like in Job's life. His faith was real. Or there's another story. I wanna, I'm, I'm wetting your appetite for something that's coming. When I say the name Megillah, does that like bring to mind something for you? Well, if you have a Jewish friend, that would bring things to mind. Particularly five books. Um, these five books up behind me, you'll see listed. Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. Now, Megillah is the Hebrew word for scrolls. And if you have a person who lives out their Jewish faith, when you say Megillah, they immediately think of, guess what? Not just these five books. These five books represent scrolls that at particular Jewish holidays, they're supposed to be read. But there is one in this list, one that jumps out. When you say Megillah, let me, let me explain it this way. So a friend of mine, uh, he used to own a Mexican restaurant, and I had tried everything on the menu. And one of the things on the menu is a molita. Raise your hand if you know what a molita is. A couple of us. So it's uh, kind of a territorial food, but it's kind of like a hamburger that they make with corn tortillas and they put in there uh, whatever meat you choose, and they've got avocado in there, sliced, they've got lettuce, cheese, onions, things like that, and, it, and they take the, the corn tortilla and they flip it on the, the grill so that it becomes stiff, not as stiff as a chip, but stiff enough where you can eat it like a hamburger, and it's delicious. Stephanie and I got stuck in, stuck in traffic one day coming home from Seattle to Olympia, and we do this thing. When traffic's real bad, we just pull off and find a restaurant and, and, and make the most of it. So we, we saw a fast food restaurant, and that's not what we wanted, but th there it was. And then we saw this little Mexican restaurant, a little hole in the wall. Usually those are the best, you know. We go in there, and we're the only people in there that are not Mexican, apparently. And there's a bunch of workers in there with, you know, hard hats and stuff like that. This is like, okay, this might be authentic here. And the uh, lady at the counter acted like she struggled to understand me when I tried to talk to her. But I finally just said, do you have, I didn't see it on the menu, do you, do you have molitas? And she put her hand up like this and she went around the back and two cooks came out and, with her. And the two cooks were like, molitas. Like, oh, I'm in the club. I'm in the club. And so they, it wasn't on the menu, but they made them from the back. Like, oh. if you say Megillah, and you've got a, a Jewish friend who practices their faith, you're in the club. Because that represents five books, yes, but the main book, Esther. If you're going to emphasize any of the five, it's Esther. If there's any story that is emphasized in the Old Testament... If there's any one that's majorly emphasized that you must, people of God, get together once a year and read, it's this one. And, and the idea in Esther, let me, let me give you this. March 16th, 2022, Wednesday night, 
We're going to do that here. We're going to have, you can dress up in a costume. We'll have costumes here. And we will have a, we'll have picture taking where we can, really cool picture taking, but we will have a dinner here and we're going to retell the story that's known as Megillah. And the idea of the story, I'm not going to give it to you now because I, I need to keep the message short enough so that you can eat your lunch. I just made you hungry talking about a molita, so we got to get to lunch. So I'm not going to give you that, but I will um, remind you about this as time gets closer. But the idea of the story is this. You'll see it up behind me. He is faithful to his faithful ones. Notice I didn't say God is faithful to his faithful ones. You know why I didn't put that up there that way? I said, he is faithful to his faithful ones. That's the story of Esther. There is one book in the whole Bible that screams that off the pages. He is faithful to those that are faithful. There is one book in the entire Bible that doesn't even use God's name. doesn't say God. It screams this. It screams God. It screams... He is faithful if you are. It's Megillah, Esther. The one out of all of the stories that we must emphasize annually so that our kids grow up understanding if you're faithful, God is faithful. And in this fascinating story, God isn't even mentioned, but his story is through the whole thing. And in it, and then same thing can happen in your life as you're going through suffering, as you're going through difficult times, different struggles, and even through the holidays, you could be going through difficulties. If you remain faithful, God is faithful. And even if you don't go around telling your friends, look, I'm getting through these hard times because of Jesus. If you fail to mention His name, He still will shine through you. Because he is faithful to those that are faithful. Okay, five things to me that just jump out of our text today. And there are only five statements in the form, some of them just words. I'm going to go through them one at a time because I want you, people of God, to understand if you're faithful, he is faithful. I want you to think of how God is trying to communicate something to you. Not, not me trying to communicate something to you. What's he trying to communicate to you with these five concepts? I'm just going to say them, and then we're going to pray. Number one, persevere. Number two, stick to it. <laughs> Number three, don't quit. Number four, don't give up. And number five, be steadfast. God, help us as we try to please you with our lives. But Lord, you know it's so hard sometimes. Help us to be faithful. We know you will be. Lord, help us as we try to do our part to pay attention to those that are around us that are ready to give up. Help us to help them be faithful. God, we know you want to love others to you, through us. Help us do our part. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for your faithfulness.
In Jesus' name, amen.